Please remain standing if you are able. And turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, Pastor Welch will be doing the exposition. I'm just relieving his foot a bit by doing the reading for him. 1 Peter chapter 4, hear now the holy, inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For, excuse me, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of, and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. May the Lord grant his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his most holy word. You may be seated. Good 
we consider this morning uh, our continuation through the book of First Peter, we already have seen the theme of suffering, of living in the world in the midst of suffering, and particularly for the church that was scattered throughout Asia Minor, the call to suffer for the cause of Christ is, is the main theme of, of Peter's book. And as we consider chapter 4, there are three points I'd like to address this morning and, and some application that comes from that. First of all, there in verses 1 through 6, we find that we are to live holy for God. Secondly, in verses 7 through 11, we are to live heartily for God. And then in verses 12 through 19, we are to suffer cheerfully for God. As we consider there those first six verses, we are called to embrace the calling to suffer. Let me say that again. As Christians, we are called to embrace the suffering for the cause of Christ. That is not easy for us as Westerners. Because we are not prone to think of suffering or persecution. Christians in, in uh, Africa, Christians in the Sudan, Christians in Afghanistan, Christians in all kinds of places suffer great persecution and oftentimes torturous persecution. We don't suffer that way. So for us to think of the fact that our calling is to suffer for Christ is a strange thing to consider. But that is exactly what Peter says there in verse 1 when he says, for, then at, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased to sin. And so this expression that Peter uses, suffered in the flesh, is that phrase that is used by Paul in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, we don't take the notion of that false doctrine in the Roman church that Christians are called to enter into the sufferings of Christ as some kind of payment for our sin. That is contrary to the scripture. But because we are identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, we are identified with him. And as the gospel of Mark teaches us, those who are servants of Christ will suffer with him. And so, Paul, so Peter says here, arm yourselves with the same mind. Have that mind that you are dead to sin that you are freed from the power of sin, and now you are identified with Christ in his suffering. We hear much about identity today, people identifying with all kinds of strange things. And yet for the believer, there's nothing more joyful than identifying with the sufferings of Christ. And so he says, arm yourself with the same mind, with the same attitude, that Christ was reviled by his enemies, that Christ was reviled by sinners. And so when we are reviled, when people treat us in the same way they treat Christ, we are to count that as joy. And so Paul calls us, particularly here in this passage, 
in our relationship as believers to not only submit to Christ, but to submit to one another. Verse 2 says that we no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, to the will of God. Then he goes into verses 3 and 4 and describe what Paul describes in chapter 2 of Ephesians. This is what we once were. We lived in lasciviousness, in lusts, in excess of wine, that is drunkenness, in revelings, in banquetings, in, in abominable idolatries, all of those things that pertain to that lower life, that old life. Peter says, that's not you. When your friends think, well, where has John gone? He's dead. He's no longer the same. And so Paul says, we are no longer to arm ourselves with those former lusts. We no longer live as the Gentiles live. And so Paul, Peter reminds us that a believer's life is not identified by his sin, but his life is identified by Christ. In this day, sadly, when we see even so-called pastors identifying with some particular sin that they still struggle with, that is contrary to the Scripture. Our identity is not in what we once were. Our identity is in Christ. And so we are called to suffer, to do the things that he has called us to do. We are to spend the rest of our life living for the will of God. We are to spend the rest of our life living as followers of Christ, doing what he's commanded us to do. Because verse 5 tells us, That if we exceed in our wickedness, if we live that past life, which indicates we never belong to Christ, then we will give an account on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. The ancient creed of the church says that Christ will return again in glory to judge the quick and the dead. And so we must live our life with that mindset that we will one day give an account. And really, that's how we should live as Christians. We should live in light of the fact that Christ will return and he will judge us. He will judge our actions. He will judge our attitudes. He will judge our motives. And so we need to take into account these things. For this cause, Peter says in verse 6, was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Reference here to dead is most likely a reference to those who have physically died and have gone to be with the Lord. So when the gospel is preached to them, they are judged by that gospel. We are judged by how we live according to God. His people will be vindicated on that day of judgment. All of our enemies will receive the sentence of condemnation. But we are to live according to God in the Spirit. We are as those who Paul says, who have been raised with Christ. We are dead in sin 
alive in Christ. And so, believer, if you are dead in sin, you are alive in Christ and seated with Him. And that is a glorious place. That is a wonderful identity that we have. And so let us live with that in mind. So embrace your calling, believer, to suffer. We don't go and look for suffering because Jesus reminds us that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But we are to embrace that suffering whenever it comes for the glory and the honor of Christ and as a witness and a testimony to the work of God. So we see the practical applications here in verses 1 through 6 for suffering that we are to live holy for God. But there in verses 7 through 11, we are to live heartily for God. We are to embrace our calling within the church. And he begins there with verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now there are a number of things that Peter could be referring to here when he speaks of the end of all things and Commentators have several different thoughts here. It could refer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. In light of that, live soberly and watch unto prayer, which I think that is, is, is certainly the case. Or perhaps it could be that because we will be vindicated on the day of judgment or because the end will come for these believers who will suffer persecution, and the end may come for us when we suffer persecution, that in light of that persecution, we are to live soberly and watch unto prayer. Perhaps we don't know what will come in 2024. People make all kinds of predictions. I'm not real optimistic. But when we think about the fact that the end of all things, at least for some believers, may be at hand, we are called whatever lot we face to be sober, that is to have a right mind, to have a right understanding, to, to be reminded of these things and to watch unto prayer. We find the example of the Lord Jesus Christ calling us to a life of prayer. So he's there in the garden with his disciples praying watching. And so we need to be watchful. We need to pray. And then he calls the church, and this is so important because in the midst of suffering, the church is still called to fervent charity among themselves, for charity covers a multitude of sins. We'll hear more about this after a bit in Luke's gospel. But here, Peter tells us that we are to be characterized by love. That is our identity in Christ. Christ loves us, and so our relationships with one another are to be characterized by love. Love renders a quick response to forgive those who trespass against us. But notice there what Peter says. Charity, what? Covers a multitude of sins. There's not one of us here in this room. There's not one of us as Christians who does not have a multitude of sins and perhaps sins that we commit against each other. But you know what? Charity covers that. 
when I, when I say something unkind or when I respond in an improper way. It's not to excuse my sin, don't get me wrong, but love covers that. And so we need to be reminded that love covers a multitude of sins because we are believers, because we are family, because we belong to one another. Here's wonderful verse that should be etched on our minds. Use hospitality one to another with what? Without grudging. My wife and I have commented before, I don't think we've ever been in a congregation. I've never served a congregation where I've seen so much food. So many people wanting to get together and people come to your house and all you do is just put out food and eat and, and enjoy food and drink. But here, Peter reminds us that we are to use our hospitality one to another. Our hospitality is not to be something that we force upon each other. Our hospitality is not to be something that we do, well, okay, nobody else can serve this week. Okay, I guess I'll go ahead and do it. That's oftentimes the attitude we have. But in our service, in our hospitality, it should be with a spirit of joy, a spirit of willingness to do without complaining, without grumbling. Parents, how do you respond when your children complain or grumble? I can tell you how my dad would respond. We are not to respond to grum- with grumbling or complaining, but we're to respond with a cheer- cheerful spirit. Hospitality can be seen in many ways. One way hospitality was seen and has been seen throughout the history of the church is in our service to non-believers. But here in the context of 1 Peter 4, it's in the context of the household of faith. That to one another, to believers, we are to use our hospitality one to another. Some people don't have the ability or the strength physically or for whatever reason to open their home. But there's many ways that we can serve one another. Paul in his ministry often commends the church for having encouraged his ministry through hospitality. And let it never be said of Reformation Presbyterian Church that they are the most inhospitable people. Let it be said of us that we love to show hospitality one to another. And then Peter commends them to use their gifts to build up the church to the glory of God. Verses 10 and 11 speak of those various gifts. But as every man hath received the gift, verse 10, let him do so as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. We've seen in the Gospel of Luke, particularly there in chapter 16, of how we are called to be stewards of the grace of God, how we are called to be good stewards of what the Lord has given to us. But particularly in the context of those who minister, they are to do it to the glory of God, that in all things whatsoever you do, Do it to the glory of the Lord. And so here there's a call for those who teach or or, um, 
to pastors and, and shepherds, to ruling elders, that they are to teach well, that they are to reveal the oracles of God, those who serve in diaconal ministry, they are to do so by the strength of God to those who assist in the work of the ministry as many women in the first century did, as others who assisted with the work of the ministry. We are called to use our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And when a church is not using its gifts to the glory of God, when the church is not using its ministry of hospitality, you know what happens? It begins to grow inward. It begins to grumble. It begins, begins to complain. It begins to start nitpicking. And that's what that Peter avoids here. So let us minister as those who have been given gifts that we might edify and build church to the glory of God through Jesus Christ to whom all praise, all adoration, all dominion belongs. And then finally he concludes here, in verses 12 through 19, to not only live heartily for God, but to suffer cheerfully for God, to endure our suffering. So as we come to the end of this passage, Peter says, don't think it a strange thing when you undergo fiery trials. Notice the expression Peter uses. Modern translations don't bring this out very clearly as we see here, the authorized translation. We are not to consider it strange when we go through fiery trials. It indicates that the persecution, particularly of the early church, the persecution that they encountered was one that was fiery, one that, that entailed a great suffering. And as you think about the suffering of believers, particularly in Afghanistan, it's gory to think about how they die for their faith. But here he says, Beloved people of God, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Jesus reminds his disciples at the end of his ministry, there in John you know, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He says, don't only think it not strange, but also rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. In other words, if you have been made partakers of Christ because of his death and resurrection, if you are in Christ, then rejoice. Because this indeed is for your benefit. There is no greater joy than to share in the fellowship and the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. And so he reminds them that if they are reproached, if they are reviled, if they are slandered for the name of Christ, then they are happy Indeed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. So here is what Peter ends with. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, 
then you are happy, and those who speak evil of you will be ashamed. And then he says, but let none of you as Christians suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. It is no shame, believer, for us to suffer with Christ. But it is shameful for us if we murder, even with our tongue, if we steal, if we defraud our neighbor, if we are a busybody, if we are judging other men, or if we are, are going after the things of the world, that shows that we do not belong to Christ. And so the greatest testimony you have as a believer in your ministry of suffering is to bear witness that you are identified with Christ. If the world sees, as has been the case here in the last number of months with a number of church trials against pastors, which are, which are shameful, it is an indication to the world that the church is no different than us. And so the church must be careful that it bears reproach for the sufferings of Christ and not because of the suffering of their sin or those matters that may be brought to the civil magistrate. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of that. And then he concludes by saying the time is coming that judgment must begin at the house of God. The Lord says here that he will come and visit the church of God. Where does judgment begin first? Not with the nation. Not with the civil magistrates. Not with those in a rule and authority over our nation. But judgment begins first with the house of God. Judgment is used in two ways. Judgment is used in the case of condemnation, which never comes to a believer. And judgment is also used in chastising them for their sin. And there are times when the Lord will chastise his children, when he will chastise the church for its sin, but never unto judgment, but always so that we might be more and more sanctified. What will be the end of those who obey not the gospel, if the church does not live according to its testimony and according to the word of God. We'll experience trials, Christian, but let us never suffer reproach because of our sin, but let us always suffer reproach for the cause of Christ. And then he concludes... By saying there in verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing unto their faithful creator. Here's a wonderful promise in verse 19 for us as believers. Here's a wonderful promise for the church and its ministry of suffering. We have a hiding place in the midst of the storm. We have a hiding place that in the time of persecution, in the time of trial, God will keep our souls 
unto the end. He is always faithful. Our troubles and our trials are not a strange thing. Christ is with us, believer, in the storm. We suffer together. That is the beauty of being believers, being brothers and sisters, being a part of the family of God. We suffer together. We suffer with Christ. And in our suffering, we are to encourage each other. Press on. Don't give up. Press on. Godly and the ungodly suffer in different ways. But the godly always suffer for the cause of Christ to give testimony and a witness to the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in our day when some in the church are scrambling to find ways to evangelize, you know the best way to use Beth method of evangelism? Use hospitality and use your testimony as one identified with Christ to speak to those who do not know him. Because if you live one way and say something different, they're going to plug their ears and say they're just hypocrites. But let us give glory and testimony as believers who are responsible to endure suffering together for the cause of Christ, that his name would be exalted in all the earth. And so let us Consider these things as we turn to Psalm 18a, as we sing together to the glory of God, I love you, Lord, you are my strength. Mm -hmm.